Yeah. Thank you guys. That was really fun. <laughs> so, welcome and Merry Christmas. Um, we come to our last scripture passage in our extended Advent series. And it is gratifying to see how the seed of an idea for a series just kind of grows and fills out as we walk through it. And the theme of God visiting and dwelling with his people with increasing intention and intimacy is something that really grew and became clearer and clearer. Um, it's almost as if God was guiding us into that. Um, so just a quick review. We first looked at Exodus 15, where God is our champion, and he redeems his people from slavery. And he then sets up shop in the middle of their lives, coming from the mountain down into the tabernacle. And he delivers his people so that he may dwell with them. And then we moved on to 2 Samuel, where God promises to David that one of his children will have a kingdom without end. And then he also directs David and tells him that the temple will be built, that his dwelling place will be established, will be set, will be made. And then in Luke 1, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, God visits Zechariah in the temple. Now, it's not the temple that Solomon built, but it was a place where people expected God's presence to be. This is God's dwelling place. And Zechariah glimpses, after a blip of disbelief, the plan, the covenantal loving kindness of God. And in Zechariah's response of praise, there is a sense that God's dwelling place is bigger than the temple. And now we come to our passage this morning. And before we get bigger, God goes smaller. After visiting Zechariah in the temple where there are crowds outside, there are multitudes praying, God goes to a little town in Nazareth, meets with a young girl. No crowds, no temple, no fanfare. And as we read earlier in the service, at this point, we know nothing about Mary, which is a little different because we got a little introduction to Elizabeth and to Zachariah and to even Joseph. But with Mary, we know nothing. And with this omission, I think Luke is showing us that what was most important about Mary was God's favor directed towards her. God is personally extending his attention and favor towards her because he has something special in mind for her. And Mary humbly welcomes his presence and his call on her life. God is on the move. And he is upending the normal expectations by choosing Mary. And Mary finds her status and identity in obeying God and participating in his plan of salvation. 
So after the angel leaves, Mary quickly goes to Elizabeth. And we pick up the story in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill her promises to her. So in this short pattern pa- passage, we see a pattern that Luke is developing. And it was in the same in the story with Zechariah. There's a prophecy from an angel There's a sign that is given. There's fulfillment. And then there's praise. So with Zechariah, there was a prophecy that John would be born. The sign was that Zechariah wouldn't be able to speak. John was born. Zechariah praised the Lord. And here, as we read early in, in the passage, Gabriel prophesied to Mary that she would be with child. She would bear a son. And she, the angel gave her a sign that Elizabeth was with child. So Mary goes and checks out that sign and finds out that that sign is true. And then Elizabeth, in turn, verifies that the prophecy is fulfilled in Mary. She is now with child. What the angel said has come to pass. His prophecy of Mary with child is confirmed by Elizabeth. So we have prophecy, sign, fulfillment, and now praise. Because God's word has been made real. This is really happening. God is on the move. So hear these words of praise from Mary in Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is the Lord. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Amen and amen. Please join me in prayer. Gracious God, what a beautiful hymn of praise. Words of worship pointing to your surprising loving kindness. May we marvel at your deliverance and may we desire your presence 
this morning as we meditate on these words of praise. Guide us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We are your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's dive in. There are basically two parts to this hymn. And the first part is verses 46 through 50, where Mary is just overflowing with awe and joy. Can you get a sense of the wonder that she has and that she's expressing towards God? Just, Just wonder and joy. My soul glorifies, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is amazed that God is mindful of her. From the world's perspective, and even from her own perspective, there's no reason for God to do that. But he does. He sees her. He wants her to be part of his plan of salvation. And Mary glimpses with joy and wonder and gratitude God's plan and her place in it. And she is overwhelmed with joy. And she also revels in the mighty power of God, calling him the mighty one. She sees him as the divine warrior, but then also the merciful God as he remembers his covenant. And while those two aspects of God for us might seem intention and at odds with each other, in Mary, she's showing us that they are just in perfect harmony and they give us a full picture of what our God is about. The merciful warrior who will bring about his plan of redemption. Now in verse 50, Mary moves from the personal to the corporate. And she says, his mercy, his loving kindness extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. So the God who sees her sees all. God's loving kindness seen in this instance, in her instance, is seen in all instances. It's as if we're looking through a camera lens at Mary and it's, it's now the range of view is expanding out and we see that she has always been part of a larger picture. And God's particular favor towards her is the working out of his particular love and favor for those who fear him. And God's surprising choice of Mary hints at the surprising way he will work out his plan. In choosing her, there is a sense that the existing social order will be turned on its head with the coming of God's Son. So now we get into part two of the hymn. And we, and we look at how this world order is going to be turned on its head a little bit. And there's a pivot point in this hymn at this point. So the verbs, getting a little technical, now switch in their tense. 
and it's the aorist tense in Greek, and it's basically pointing to a completed act. It's a done deal, even if it's in the future. It's done. And that's what all of these things in this latter part of the hymn are pointing to, something that is done. It is, it's so sure it's going to be completed. And so Mary conceives these actions by God as a completed whole, even as she's looking forward to the birth of this son. So what does Mary see God doing? Well, simply confronting those who oppose him and exalting the humble and feeding the hungry. As God sets things right, he is going to upend the current social order. Those who oppose him are the rich, the proud, the powerful. As one commentator said, it's those who grasping for social respect and like their privilege and exclude others. So Mary was looking forward some pretty awesome acts that God was going to be doing. And we have the benefit in our time and age to actually look back and see how God, how Jesus fulfilled these acts. How he fulfilled this vision of opposing the proud and exalting the needy. So let's look at what Jesus did. In verse 51, it says, he has shown great strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, as one translation puts it. So he has shown great strength with his arm. That's reminiscent of Exodus talk, of God parting the sea. That's kind of the echo of the story that we're hearing in those words. So what about Jesus? Well, Jesus walked on the water. He didn't part the sea, he walked on it. And he calmed the storms with a word. His disciples recognized that mighty power and they were afraid. They said, who is this? Who is this that can do such things with, this, with a word? Scattering the proud. How many times did Jesus leave people tongue-tied in arguments in the gospel? And at the very end of his ministry, it says that no one dared ask him any more questions. He scattered the proud. Now in verse 53 of Mary's hymn, it says, he filled the hungry with good things and he sent the rich away empty. On that, I think you join me in this. I think of Jesus feed, feeding the multitude with bread and fish. I also think of him meeting with the woman at the well, quenching her thirsty soul with his living water. And sending the rich away empty, I think about Jesus' in, encounter with the rich young ruler who was searching for God, but he was blinded by his wealth. 
And he left Jesus empty and sad, even as Jesus loved him. Now verse 52. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones, and he has lifted up the lowly. During Jesus' arrest, in the face of the armed temple guards, That's the image of power and control for the religious leaders. Jesus says, do you not think I can call on my father and he will send down in at once, he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions? How about when Pilate confronts Jesus? At the end of their exchange, Pilate says, don't you realize I have the power to either free you or crucify you? And Jesus says, you have no power over me that wasn't given to you. Pilate, Herod, the temple guards, the religious leaders, the thrones of the day had no power over Jesus. They were put in their place. And Jesus lifted up the lowly by having himself lifted up on the cross in an act of love and obedience to his Father, showing God's ultimate mercy, his ultimate loving kindness on the cross. Sins forgiven, debt canceled, Opposition nailed to the cross. Powers and authorities disarmed and shamed. Christ triumphs in the most unexpected way. Upending the existing world order. He turns everything around and upside down. The lowly are lifted up in the most incredible and disruptive and definitive act, the Son of God crucified on a cross. In Advent, we talk about waiting. We talk about how we live in the attention of the already and not yet. In Advent, we tend to focus on the not yet, often. How we are looking for Jesus coming again. And we look forward to the completed reality of his kingdom come fully. But this morning, on the eve of Christmas, on the eve of celebrating the birth of our Savior, I want to look at the tension of the already. Because in this hymn and in this song of praise, Mary glimpsed the coming of God's salvation. And then she saw how this song was completed in Jesus because he was the one who fulfilled all of these actions in ways that she couldn't even imagine. 
So what was Mary's journey with the already in Jesus? Well, she treasured and pondered as the shepherds came, as Simeon and Anna prophesied, and as the wise men visited. And later she was anxious and angry and confused when they lost Jesus and when he was 12 years old. He wasn't lost. She just couldn't find him. And before he started his ministry, Mary knew something was really special about him because they were at a wedding, they were out of wine, and Mary told Jesus, hey, they're out of wine. And then she told the servants, listen to this guy. And he turned water into wine. She knew something was up. But after Jesus began his ministry, teaching and and healing, his family came to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. And we don't hear much of her after this until the next time we see her. Receiving Jesus' overflow of loving kindness at the foot of the cross. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. God's favor resting upon her once again. And then she was part of the fledgling believers in Acts, praying with them. So what was Mary's journey with the already in Jesus? Rejoicing in awe, treasuring and pondering, anxious and angry, bewildered, convinced he's crazy, quiet and out of the picture, praying with the saints. So my question to you this morning is, where are you with your, with your journey with the already in Jesus? Are you rejoicing and in awe, treasuring, pondering, anxious, angry, bewildered, convinced he's crazy, quiet, out of the picture. Wherever you are in the journey, we always come to the cross. God's disruptive, expansive, definitive act of salvation. The place where God's loving kindness through Christ is fully displayed, fully expressed. And in the face of that loving kindness, 
everything begins to change. The world, our world, is turned on its head. Rejoicing is deeper. Gratitude is fuller. Anxiety can be faced. Anger is evaluated. And Jesus' loving kindness is the solid ground from which we test our assumptions and we struggle with our doubts. And his love stirs our apathy to action. From the overflow of his love, he asks us and we find ourselves loving others in ways that we never thought possible. The good news is that Jesus came to earth, lived the life we should have lived, and died the death we should have died so that the lowly may be lifted up and that we might find true life in him. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Please join me in prayer. Dear God, your loving kindness upends everything. Your love continually challenges us because there is nothing else like it anywhere. May we join Mary in this praise of you.